So this could be the last episode of the Loogie Baseball Podcast. Baseball is in jeopardy right now. It's hanging in the balance. Uh, scary lockout going on right now. I'm not sure if the MLB will ever <laughs> Stop happen <it>. again. <laughs> scary lockout. Yeah, hey, even if it doesn't, which it obviously will get, well, it, it'll get fixed. Even if it doesn't, we've got years of baseball to talk about. We're never going away. We'll never die. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Lo- Welcome to Loogie Podcast Episode 23. I'm your host, Zach. We're never leaving. Here with Jack. He's never leaving. And Andrew, yeah. he's also never leaving. No shot. Baseball will never die. Never leaving. Because Loogie Podcast is here to bring you baseball for the rest of your life. All right. Yeah. Well, what a week it's been for the Mets. Crazy week of off-season news. So let's just get right into it. Andrew, I'm going to congratulate you right now. Your predictions two weeks ago... Or your wish list, I guess. Has- your wish list, yeah. What you thought would be best for the team. Yeah, Billy Billy Boy was listening to me, or us, yeah. apparently. We got the Marcana and Eduardo Escobar deals. Two that I said that I wanted. We got both of them done. And mm-hmm. I went back and actually looked at the term and the amount that I said that we wanted. And yeah. it was pretty close to, I said, two years, 24 for Mark. He got two years, 26 and a half. Mm-hmm. And then that also includes a club option, that deal. And then for Escobar, I said two years, 20. And he got exactly two years, 20. Wow. Which What a prediction. My numbers were just based on what everyone was saying. So it's not, those didn't really... I didn't come up with those numbers, so I'm not going to take any credit at all for that. Yes, you did. But yes, you did. I am very happy with both of those signings. I, we were all together when those both got announced. I was, actually, I was very excited to get that notification, especially with the Escobar one first. Right. I was like, the Mets first big signing and the guy that I wanted, it was great. Yes, Jack yeah. Jack was already asleep. I was asleep. <laughs> I was can asleep never be a GM. Rehab. I can't stamp that late. <laughs> That's right. All the late night trades, you'd miss them. Well, of uh, two great additions. How Jack? Oh, we'll start with you. How do you think they're, they're going to fit into this team? Well, it's hard to say. You know, um, I, I think JD Davis is obviously is, his days are numbered. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really see how he fits in this team right now. I think they lost confidence in him last year. Escobar bats right-handed. He's going to play third base. I think there's no doubt. Um, it's really interesting. He's one of these guys who in 2019, there's a few guys like this who in 2019, um, if you look at his numbers in 2019, he, 35 home runs, 118 RBIs, 10 triples. I mean, this guy was the real deal at that point, and he had a few other pretty decent years back then, uh, 21 home runs in 17, 23 home runs in 18. So I don't really see how Davis contributes in any way at this point. I don't know what the situation is with him regarding uh, dumping him for a reliever. Um, Kana, he could play all three outfield positions. Marte, I mean, there's a lot to say here, so I don't want to take up mm-hmm. too much time. I like to have Andrew have his shot. But um, with Marte and Nimmo at the top of the lineup, this is a dream for me. I, I love two guys who can hit and get on base and run a little bit and steal some bases. So this is a great opportunity to um, have an old, you know, ha- have a little old school offense with two good on base guys at the top of the lineup with some speed. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see Davis go, you know, we, we had hopes for him, but he just didn't pan out. And there's certain things, there's too many weaknesses in his game that you can't really hang your hat on a guy like that to say, this guy can help us win a championship. He's not that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Escobar, I'm, I think next week we'll maybe talk about a potential lineup, what the lineup may look like next, next, uh, next, uh, next year. Mm-hmm. I don't think we don't want to talk about it today yet because there's a lot, so many other things to talk about, but, um, yeah, I mean, awesome moves by by the GM. What can you say? And uh, we'll uh, we'll save a Scherzer conversation after this. Go ahead, Andrew, about the the guys we added. Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it. My only thing is with JD Davis. I think there is still the possibility of a platoon at third. Davis's defense isn't great. Escobar's isn't great either, but it's still better than Davis's. But I just went and looked at their splits quick and. Last year, this is just last year only, Escobar had a 752 OPS against righties. Davis mm-hmm. had an 877. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And then against lefties, Escobar had an 877 and Davis had a 687. So you could realistically see Davis play against righties occasionally. Mm-hmm. And then still, I think Escobar should get the bulk of the time. And then we don't have to talk about this right now, but there's the strong possibility of the DH getting added. So that is an entire another lineup spot that could mm-hmm. be filled by Davis on some days, depending on the pitching matchup. So I do think Davis could still have a spot on this team, but at the same time, if we can flip him for a solid reliever or a piece in another trade, I definitely wouldn't be opposed to it. And I, you know, speaking of a tune possibility, I hate to even mention this person's name, but, um, you know, I, we could bring in another middle infielder type to have a McNeil could roll into a second base, third base platoon with Escobar. And of course we also had the possibility, the name I did not want to mention was Cano to perhaps be a pun of a platoon type of person at third base as well with Escobar. But I just don't see Davis at this point, really uh, serving any useful purpose on this team, but we'll see what happens. The DH, of course, as you say, would, would perhaps change things a little bit, but even there you're thinking, well, Dom to first and Pete to DH, and they can kind of share that position somehow also. And even Cano, who I hate to bring up, <laughs> could could play first base as well in a platoon slash first base DH type of thing, but we'll see. Yeah, lots lots to discuss in future episodes with this lineup and, and what's going to happen next year. But maybe the biggest addition of all that happened over these last two weeks was Max Scherzer coming to New York from L.A. Big move, big money. Andrew, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's a smart move? What do you think the motives are here? So it was clearly a lot of money. You know, three years, $130 million, 43 and a third per year, which shatters any other contract. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, if the Mets want to go for it, they got to go for it. Right. It's a three-year deal. It's not going to kill you if he falls off a cliff, which is nice. And, you know, he is he is 37. It is a lot of money to give someone that age. Mm-hmm. But his track record is incredible. He... Yeah, he he just always puts up solid numbers. He pitches a lot of innings. He did have some injuries a little bit these last two years, but again, nothing too major. So I really like it. I mean, it gives a two ace, two complete aces on the top of the rotation, which something we haven't had for a little while. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I there's it's a lot of money, but I don't really have too many complaints about the move at all. Jack, similar? Well, I was going to say, I think the key is just a three-year deal. Granted, he is 37, but it is just a three-year deal. So, yeah. Um, and needless to say, Cohen's hands were were forced a bit in this with Syndergaard walking and then no desire to bring Stroman back, which Stroman would not have been enough anyway. So his hand was forced to to make a big move. And, and it says a couple of things. First of all, it sends a message to the entire league and all the players out there, hey, this guy looks like he's coming to win. He's going to spend big bucks and he wants to win now. So this could be a team I want to go to. I think that was an important part of this. But again, also losing out on on Syndergaard and losing out on Gaussman, he was like, look, let's just get this done. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of cash, but it is a three-year deal. And and as as Andrew said, his track record – and his work ethic, his desire to continue to be at the top of his game. This is not a guy who just wants to walk away at 37 or 38 and say, yeah, it was a nice career. He, this guy wants to keep pitching. So um, it was a move that had to be done. And um, it could be a stepping stone to a lot of great things. So I, I thought this telecast, this podcast could be dead um, <laughs> At some point, but I will say we slightly overpaid on this guy. Some because obviously the front office isn't doing their homework uh, on a couple of the issues with this guy. Okay, 
that are you curious why I'm saying this? Yeah, I, I, I'm very curious. Let's hear what you got to say. All right. Last year, Max Scherzer was 0 for 59 at the bat. Okay. <laughs> 0 for 59. This guy's terrible with the bat. Now, from, from 1915, I mean, from 20, what, what year is this? <laughs> from 2019, the guy batted 192. Huh. Okay, he didn't bat in 2020 because of the team he was playing with. He batted one now last year over 59. This is a dramatic drop off for this guy. I don't know oh what Cohen's goodness. expecting from him offensively. They obviously didn't look at that. We don't want another over 59. Now, so what? How much should we give him? We gave him 130 million, 43 per year. Yeah, I would have went like 128 because of the 0 for 59 <laughs> last year. But we'll see how he does. This will be interesting to see um, if he uh, if he improves at the bat with this increased um, <laughs> this increased amount of money he's getting. I mean, I, I'm expecting more from him. All right. Yeah, you better email him. He did have an RBI last year. He must have grounded out at some point. And yeah, maybe a, maybe board, a pop so. fly or something. Yeah. And he was very consistent. He didn't get a hit with either the Nationals or the Dodgers. So there was some consistency there. Okay. So, um, I'm, but I am looking forward to uh, what happens next year. You think maybe he'll become a consistent hitter since he is consistent? He's shown his consistency. Well, he batted two forty three in 2018. So who knows what will yeah, happen. Yeah, may, maybe DeGrom will show him some tips or something, you know? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. That's true. Well, Jake Jack, you great. mentioned it. Uh, Noah Syndergaard did sign with the Angels. Yeah. Baez to the Tigers, and Stroman goes to my Cubbies. A lot of movement on the team, in and out. Is there anyone you're sad to see go, Andrew? Um, anybody that you're going to miss? I would have liked to get Stroman back, and... I don't remember the exact details of his contract, but I think he he got something like twenty three per year mm-hmm. on yeah. not that mm-hmm. long of a deal. Or I don't actually don't remember the length, but it it was a nice amount where that would have been great for us. I think he kind of was turned off by the lack of the Mets pursuing him because they were going after basically every other top name name pitcher instead of him. Mm-hmm. At least according to what he was saying. So I think it was kind of like the ship has sailed. Mets aren't really going to get him. He's looking elsewhere. Right. So it would have been nice to get him back for Baez and Syndergaard. I think we already touched on Syndergaard last episode. It, I'm totally okay with it. Yeah, I mean, he got a 371 out of the Cubs, and he'll be 31 next May. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't have a problem uh, not wrapping up 371 into Marcus Stroman at age 31, um, as well as he pitched for us. I mean, we did give him an A plus minus plus. So, um, but yeah, there are other <laughs> fish to be fried, other other men to be had. Now we'll have Carrasco on a full season. I think next week we should talk about the lineup and the um, and the potential starting five at this point, the, the yeah. rotation. Um, we can't talk about bullpen yet because obviously there's a lot of moves to be made. But um, mm-hmm. and I, I think you know this Starling Marte. The only downside of Marte is, of course, his age, 32. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at his numbers, um, I mean, this is exactly the kind of player that we've needed. Yeah, a good on-base guy, a good center fielder, a very reliable, consistent player who can do a lot of things well. He has his speed. He has power. And he and he bats for average, and he is on base guy. So um, I'm very excited to see Marte in the lineup. What was really interesting about Marte and Kana, both coming from Oakland, uh, Marte was 47 of 52 stolen bases last year, which is an incredible. Nice. Only caught stealing five times in 52 attempts. Kana was 12 of 14. Huh. So both excellent numbers. So that got me to thinking about Oakland under Bob Melvin what kind of base-dealing team they are. Well, actually, they're a pretty suck-ass base-dealing <laughs> team over the last five years. He, Melvin's been there for quite a while. So there's nothing about Melvin that would have indicated why both of those players had exceptional stolen base years um, from a percentage perspective anyway regarding Connor. But, um, you know, th- two guys who somehow know how to run the bases and, and steal, and um, it's going to be really 
Good to see a more of a multi-dimensional team, which we lacked terribly last year. Yeah, um, running the bases. So another thing that we need to discuss is who's going to manage this team uh, mm-hmm. in the future podcast. So although I would imagine that could be happening soon, guys, any word on the managerial situation? I haven't heard. Yeah, I haven't heard news. I've still heard the same candidates that they've been throwing out. You know, the mm-hmm. Buck Showalter and Mike Schill and Brad Osmus and all, but no, no actual news that I know of. Okay. With these purchases, there will be expectations. Well, I so. thought about getting Melvin from Oakland, but I, he's been there like 10-plus years, so I'm thinking, well, he's, he's not going anywhere. So yeah. Anyway. But very exciting. Marte, Nimmo at the top of this lineup with Endor and, Mick, and, um, and uh, Polar Bear behind those two guys. This, this could be a much more interesting year than it was last year. So, Andrew, with everything being put on your wish list seeming to almost come to fruition, is there any anybody new you're putting on there, anybody else you want the Mets to target mm. in free agency? Well, I had read reports that the Mets were at least looking at going after another bat and another pitcher. I don't know if pitcher means starter or reliever. I mean, they ha- they have to get some form of relief pitching, but I don't know if they're going to be still targeting one more starter. I went and looked at just who's still out there, and starting pitching is pretty slim. Really, the only two top guys still out there are Carlos Rodon and Clayton Kershaw. I think still everyone expects Kershaw to re-sign with the mm. Dodgers. Rodon is still out there, probably not re-signing with the White Sox, so he would be an interesting option. He He's definitely a high risk high reward because he does have those injury issues but he would probably be a number 2 starter on any team and he'd be 3 or 4 on our team if we got him so that would be hmm. really nice yeah uh in terms of bats there aren't too many guys still out there that I would realistically want for this team Chris Bryant would be you know that's like a, a luxury pick if we could still somehow get okay. him to play you know a corner outfield spot or I guess there really isn't too many spots for him without pushing one of our signings to the bench already. So I don't think he makes too much sense, but you know, it would be nice to have uh, a kind of under the radar signing that I was thinking of was Josh Harrison. He would be another, he would be a bench guy, but he's got some speed. He can play a bunch of different positions, hits for decent average, uh, I think he was most recently, he was on the A's also and the Nationals a little bit this past year, but he he would just be a cheap bench guy, kind of like a VR, Pilar type player. And then bullpen quickly, Andrew Chafin would probably be my number one as kind of our ah. Aaron Loop replacement. He had really good years and he actually, he has really good career numbers and he, you know he's a lefty. He put a, he had another great season. The rumor is he would be getting five million a year, which you know two years at five million would be awesome for. You know he probably he won't put up an Aaron Loop season, but he could do something similar. Who and, is that now? Uh, Andrew Chafin. He was with the Cubs, and I think okay. he got traded to. He might have also got traded to the A's. We might just be putting together the A's team. He's got yeah, a great mustache. He does have a, he has an amazing mustache. Last two, I had Colin McHugh is a guy, I think the Mets might have even drafted him or they had him a long time ago. Yeah, they did have him, yeah. He's trans, he was a starter for the Astros and a few other teams. He's transitioned into a relief role and had a sub two ERA last year with the Rays. And he's a guy that because he was a starter could go two, three innings in relief. And he was really effective last year. He's apparently asking five mil. And then last guy, I don't know if I want him or not, but it was just another reliever that stuck out to me that's still out there, Joe Kelly. He's a bit inconsistent, yeah. wants, wants a little bit more money than these other guys, but mm-hmm. has very good numbers and would be a nice top of the bullpen piece. Certainly. I, I think, love some Joe Kelly. Yeah, I think the way the team looks now, the most probable splash will be a, a top line reliever. I, I don't think that they're gonna they're going to hesitate or shy away from giving a Joe Kelly type 
whatever he wants. I mean, the guy's numbers are great. And, um, you know, that's exactly, I think, what we're going to want at this point is almost get it. We've done this before where we'll go get a, a second closer to be our eighth inning guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that will be the most logical move. And I think Joe Kelly is somebody who would definitely fit the seventh or eighth inning role very well. Um, so I would love to see us get this guy. And how much is he looking for? Six, seven mil? Yeah, seven? I saw seven mil, maybe two, three years. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a no-brainer, I think. The way we are right now with the loss of loop, um, that seems to me to be a, a no-brainer. In fact, I would just I would get it done on Joe Kelly personally. Ah, Jack's in all in on Joe Kelly. All right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, well, they made that move for him in the in the in the playoffs when they made that early move. Um, what he relieved uh, Scherzer, I think, like in the fifth inning or something. Mm, and I'm yeah. like, holy shit! I mean, they didn't even hesitate. Um, uh, what's his name? The Roberts just found that out of the dugout and said, "Give me, uh, give me Kelly." And that was that. So, and then and Jack McHugh said, was "Give me guy, Kelly." McHugh was another guy that would that would fit the bill as well. So, yeah, either sure. one of those two would be great. I mean, McHugh Lots of had options a great year. McHugh had a great year with Tampa last year, so um, there's no doubt, guys. That that should be our next move. All right, you heard it. What's his name? Uh, what's our our new Billy guys? Boy? Billy, yeah, Billy, Billy boy. boy. Yeah, come on, get us Joe Kelly. Next move, gotta be. Well, well I, and the thing about McHugh is he throws innings. He throws seventy plus innings each of the last four or five years. So, and he's former starter. So, um, I mean, that's a guy who can definitely give you some innings as well. So, that just sold it to Billy Epler right there. That was he it. Had, he had a nine three eight WHIP last year. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm saying this is he's thirty four, which is not a big deal for a reliever. <laughs> so. Forgetting. I could He's probably still a couple, throw a couple innings there, mop up innings. Oh, anyway. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, well, at the top of the show, I uh, mentioned the terrifying lockout that's going on that really puts our jobs in jeopardy. Andrew, calm my nerves. What is it? What is going on here? What does this mean? So, yeah, the lockout is definitely something, well, new for us. I think the last one was 94, I believe. Dang, that was a long time ago. And so it was last night was the expiration of the last collective bargaining agreement or CBA, which is basically just a contract between the MLB and the MLB Players Association that involves all kinds of rule changes. And most importantly, it just it has to do a lot with money and things like free agency are really the is the biggest item on there. And since no agreement between the two sides was made as of last night, the owners voted to lock out the players, which it's a negotiation technique to basically say, this is urgent, you know, we we need to make a deal. Mm -hmm. And during the lockout, there's no contact allowed between the players and teams. So that means no free agency signings. Players... Players that are already signed to teams can't use team facilities or team doctors or anything like that until a new agreement is reached. So we're basically at a complete standstill until a deal gets made. And so there's there's two sides to this. You have you know the players and the players association, and then the owners. The players, their main thing that they want with this new deal is changes to team control. So right now, teams have control over a player for six years before that player can enter free agency. So Mm -hmm. by the time they get called up, they're guaranteed on the team for six years unless, obviously, they get traded or released. And Mm -hmm. then they're free to sign with whoever they want. So for your average player, they don't reach free agency until their 30s. You know, we're seeing a lot of guys this year, you know, if you come up when you're 24, 25, you're not going to be a free agent until you're 30, 31. Mm-hmm. And that is generally closer to the end of your prime than the beginning. Because already we're seeing, you know, 31 is not, you don't mind sending a guy that's 31 to a bit of a deal. But once you get 32, 33, these guys just start getting less and less money. Mm-hmm. So what the players want is more money when they're younger or preferably less years of team control so they can file for free agency when they're younger. 
And then the other thing that the players really want the league to address is teams that are tanking. So right now there's no salary floor, meaning teams can spend, when they're rebuilding, they can spend as little as they want on their players. Miami. Exactly, and have an extremely low payroll. So say half the team is rebuilding and has a really low payroll, that's less teams that are competing for free agents. That -hmm. means contracts are lower. And it's just not good for the players. So they kind of want some kind of salary floor or a minimum that teams have to spend. But then at the same time, to get a minimum, owners might want a maximum. So then you have a salary cap. And players don't want that because then contracts are also limited. So the player side is is interesting. And basically they just want more freedom and the ability to make more money when they're younger. Well, at minimum, I don't think it's ever going to happen because, like you said, the trade-offs would be too too harsh on, on richer, better players. There'll be a cap. There'll be some implementation of, uh, of preventing teams from overspending if they're underspending as well. And plus, it doesn't happen that often. you know. And, and also, some teams are in markets where you can't spend money anyway. I mean, the amount of local TV and radio revenue generated by the Mets, the Dodgers, and Boston mm-hmm. is astronomically above what they're getting in Minnesota, in Tampa, in Kansas City. I mean, you're talking 8 mil versus, uh, you know, 180 mil. I mean, there's, there's no comparison. So it's very hard for those small market clubs, given their revenue um, differences, to do that. So that would be very difficult to do. Mm. Plus, you know what? Who could forget the 1947 uh, Philadelphia A's when Connie Mack sold off all his superstars and he had a bunch of double-A type players. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what you a year. Philadelphia played the A's and it was a guaranteed uh, sweep. Oh, yeah. Playing, I think they won 48 games that year or something. So, um but, you know, you always have to throw a lot of shit on the table and negotiate against to get mm-hmm. what you really want. But um, That's true. Yeah, so, well, that's interesting. I'm glad someone's keeping track of that because those old guys, eh, we've been through this too many times. We, 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 for, we don't know what's going on. Yeah, anymore. I had no idea. I had no idea oh, that's what was going on. So that was the player side, but we also have the owner side and uh-huh. what, what they're do they saying. want. What do they want? So last night, Rob Manfred wrote a letter to the fans explaining the situation. And I went and, and read his letter and took out some, some key pieces. And he states that the owners offered these things. He says they offered a minimum payroll, so a salary floor. Uh-huh. And they offered an age-based system that allows players to reach free agency earlier. So instead of it being years on the team, it would be based on their age. So older players would reach free agency sooner. Well, that works out well, because if you're a free agent at 30, finally, you probably weren't a very good player all along. Yes, exactly. These these are guys who who suck, who, yeah, go ahead, be a free agent. We don't care. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry, Andrew. They also, he said they offered to increase compensation for younger players, meaning, and also increasing the minimum salary, which I guarantee that increase is basically nothing. Yeah. Uh, He (laughs) said they offered the universal DH, which I guess the players are really pushing for. They offered a, to do a draft lottery instead of the normal draft. So that will, like other sports have, so, so that will be less prone to tanking. Uh, this is all nothing. This, this, everything you're mentioning is costing the owners nothing so far. Exactly. Uh, he said they would increase the competitive balance tax threshold, so the luxury tax, oh, make that higher. So that's kind uh, of a mess. And then the second part of his letter is he's you know he's talking down on the players' association, saying uh, they're not willing to budge and saying they're making these insane claims and these insane things that they want. So the first thing that he mentions is they want significant cuts to the revenue sharing system, which you know is kind of what you were mentioning earlier, Jack, where right now low-budget teams receive a portion of revenue from those big market teams. 
Yeah. Which is a couple of pennies. Is good. I don't I don't know how much it is, but I think they're saying they want to cut it by a hundred million dollars or something. And from the player side, they want this because right now those low budget teams are able to not spend that much money. Yeah get revenue from the other teams and still turn a profit. So instead of right. having to put a good team on the field, they can put a garbage team uh, on the field because they're still making money from that sharing. Well, the other side of that is if you're giving those lower budget teams money, they have more money to spend and yes. to, you know, compete for certain players right. and bring them under a contract. Yeah. So. so that one can go either way. You know, it's, it's up for an argument on whether these low budget teams are just pocketing the money and then just still putting a crap team out on the field, or some of them are actually trying. So, yeah, that is a tough one. The other, he said they also want to shorten the time that players play for their teams, which I thought is a really funny way of saying decreasing team control. Because, you know, he's, he's putting this towards the fans, and he's saying, you know, if we take their deal, your favorite players are going to be on your team for less years. Oh, well. Which is true. You know, we... As fans, we don't want our young players to be gone so soon because yeah. there are players. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it is not the best system for the average to below average players no. who hit free agency when they're 30 something, make a couple million dollars on a small deal, and then they could be out. And we're mm-hmm. used to that by now. We're used yes. to players coming and going all the time. It's, yeah, you know, that's just a fact of life in all sports now. I mean, it's just constant turnover. So that's all a bunch of garbage you're offering them. And I'm not saying that they're not justified in taking a harder stance, but regarding trying to uh, smooth out the competitive balance between the teams so the teams don't tank, that's a bunch of crap because I don't care how much money you throw at Miami or um, or, or, or Kansas City, they're, they're never going to be competitive. They're never going to spend money. The only way they'll ever be competitive is if they happen to strike gold with some young players who are really good, like Kansas City did in 2015. Hmm. Yeah. And where have they been since 2015, Kansas City? They've been nowhere. I mean, that's never going to change unless you want to do full-blown across-the-board revenue sharing like the NFL has. Mm-hmm. That's why in the NFL, there is no such thing as a small market team because they have full-blown across-the-board revenue sharing and everyone can be competitive. Baseball doesn't want to do that because the people with the power, New York, L.A., Chicago, et cetera, they're not they're not going to give that up. So and and what man for what, what's he supposed to be impartial in all this, isn't he? Well, he's yeah, it sounds to. like he's throwing the players under the bus. I mean, he works for the owners. He wants to keep his stupid job. Right. It's high paying, worthless job, which he does absolutely nothing in. <laughs> and like Goodell. And uh, it's a bunch of crap. Bowlers, so I, I, he has no. Um, currency at all to stand there and, and, and lecture the fans about what is a good or not a good deal for the players and the owners. That's a bunch of crap, Ola. I'm sorry. That really ooh, got, ooh, gets ooh. me aggravated. We might have to skip the what's pissed off Jack this week segment. That was yeah, fiery. Skip it. Because that guy's an idiot. You know, <laughs> back in the day, Louis Kuhn was the last legitimate commissioner in baseball who was impartial. I mean, they were brought on to be impartial, to be an impartial judge. The first mm-hmm. commissioner of baseball was a judge who left behind his judgeship to become commissioner of baseball as an impartial juror of these of these types of arguments. That's all in the garbage because Bud Selig, as you may know, was owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. He said, I'm the next commissioner now. And since then, that position has been a shill position for ownership. So, hmm. and, and good, uh, you know, Manfred has no choice if he wants to continue with his high-paying, cushy job, he has to be a shill for ownership or they'll get rid of him and bring in some other idiot to be their puppet. So I, I, that list is – I have to go look at that list because that's a bunch of crap if I ever heard it. That's a, just a bunch of garbage. So hmm. anyway. Beautifully said. Beautifully yeah, said. I mean, I, I mean it, it, you know, what we have now regarding it, controlling, controlling the players – having four years or two years control, really. And then, of course, you go to arbitration. And then six years, you want to drop that below six? Well, okay, go to five. I mean, fine, do whatever. Mm. But, I mean, um, it's a pretty good balance right now. And it is, there is something to say 
although I poo-pooed it earlier, there's something to say that to have a young up-and-coming player to be able to have a chance for him to develop as a part of your team before he moves on, I think there is something to be said for that um, mm-hmm. with a six-year. But I agree with the age thing because if, if you have a guy who only breaks into the majors at 28, let him go out and get a chance to, to make a few extra dollars. I mean, a guy who breaks into the majors leagues at 28 inevitably is going to be a pretty solid bench player for yeah. most of his career. So give that guy a chance perhaps to go out and get some money. Yeah, that would be mm-hmm. the compromise to me. The age, we'll give, we'll give him the age part and, and then we'll try to keep control of the players the way they are being controlled now. But um, anyway, damn that Manfred. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've got something that might cheer you up. I have to apologize, I guess, uh, for some bad information that I got two weeks ago from I was I using baseball almanac? Lefty Grove yeah. of the Philadelphia A's, I, be- I believe, right? Yes. Uh, did pitch two immaculate innings, mm. both in the same season. But I'm not too sorry because the only reason you guessed that is because you cheated. All right, let's move on to the next round. I <laughs> to, did to cheat. The next... Yeah, yeah, I know. You did cheat. Are there a quiz this week? Yeah, you're doing it. Oh, no one told me. Oh, I'm telling you right now. Go ahead. Just ask us one question. All right. Um, Max Scherzer, <laughs> in right. his entire career, has 12 complete games. Mickey Lolich, in his 16-year career, has how many complete games um, within 20? Mickey Lolich, complete games. In how many years did he he, he pitched from 1963 to 1979, mostly with the Tigers. Okay, 16 years. Like the postseason count. How many games did Mickey Lolich have in his <laughs> the postseason count? Because I've seen one of them. 12 for Max Scherzer in his career. 158. Mm-hmm. Zach? All right. Uh, I'm just going to go a little higher. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go 230. 195 complete games. Ah, and wow. that's that's a low. I could have picked out other guys who had a lot more complete games, but Jeez. I know we talked about the '68 World Series when Mickey Lolich won a complete game victory of five to three. But 195 complete games in his career, 29 in one season. That Max is a Scherzer, lot. 12 in his entire career. That's so, crazy. All right, that was that's my trivia question for the all day. right. All right, what's next? Jack wins trivia. I won again. All right, next, next is <laughs> next is Andrew and I's. Uh, super team. Oh, all time right. team. Looking forward to it. Yeah, let's hear it. Andrew, do you want to take it away first or what? Sure, I'll go first. All right, go for it. So for our team, our second baseman yeah, baby. is a guy that we all love by the name of Daniel Murphy. Danny boy. Hey. And Daniel Murphy is sort of a legend for Mets fans for mm-hmm. a few different reasons. He, he came up with the team in 2008, but he didn't really have a position to play. First base at the time was blocked by Carlos Delgado. Second base was blocked by Luis Castillo. Oh, studs. So Murphy kind of he kind of just stumbled around in the outfield for a year or two. There's some really funny highlight or I guess lowlights of him trying to play left field and right field, <laughs> yeah. just dropping pop flies and... He he couldn't play the outfield, but that's really the only place they could put him. He after that he played some below average first base for the Mets uh, until he had to give way for super prospect Ike Davis, who we all know how how that turned <laughs> out. Who's the other guy? Oh, Duda, Lucas. Duda. Yeah, and Lucas Duda as well, dude. And then so so Murphy eventually settled at second base which apparently was a kind of crazy thing moving from first base from a starting first baseman to starting second base. Apparently yeah. that is extremely uncommon in MLB history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found some article from when the move was happening and the writer was shocked that 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 the Mets were making that move. Mm-hmm. But he played some solid second base. He was never, you know, going to be a goal glover, but yeah, he, he was bad. He was an acceptable second baseman, but the reason the Mets were so willing to move Murphy around is you had to get his bat in the lineup because mm-hmm. he could, he could hit. 
During yeah. his his Mets prime, he never had a season batting under 280. He was usually good for anywhere between 5 to 15 home runs. Had some surprisingly good stolen base years. Not not crazy high numbers, but more than you would think for him. Uh, and you know, he, he was always a lovable guy. He was just kind of really funny to watch, but he became a Mets legend in the 2015 mm-hmm. playoffs when he hit home runs in a record six straight playoff games. Oof. And he ended that postseason batting 328, seven home runs, 11 RBIs, and an 1115 OPS. And he was yeah. especially on fire in that sweep of the Cubs in the NLCS. Yeah, he hit yeah. 529 with an 1850 OPS. Yeah, he which he he was he was just insane. You couldn't pitch to him. None mm-hmm. of us will ever forget those home runs he hit in those. I don't know what six consecutive games it was. Yeah, six consecutive against some really good pitchers. Amazing. I mean, he was just so locked in. Mm-hmm. There was no doubt. Um, that was that was a true highlight of Met fans in the, in the previous decade. That was it. That was the highlight, probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. Performance in the, in the playoffs. Should have walked him. Sadly, yeah. uh, sadly, as is a Mets tradition, yep. Murphy reached a, another level as soon as he left the team. <laughs> he after that postseason, he signed a three-year, thirty-seven and a half million dollar deal. Gosh. With the Washington Nationals in 2016, and he exploded. In 2016, he hit 347. He led the league in OPS with an OPS of 985. Mm-hmm. Led the league in doubles with 47. Hit 25 home runs and had 104 RBIs. Yep. He was an all-star. He was a silver slugger at second base. And he finished second, second place in the MVP voting. And he led the league in slugging also that year. So yes, he did. Across the board, insanity. And then even the next year, he backed it up. He had a 928 OPS in 2017. He was an all-star again and a silver slugger again. And then after that, he had a few solid years. His next year with the Nationals was still good. They ended up trading him away to the Cubs. He played a season with them, a couple seasons with the Rockies, had some injuries, and ended up retiring last year in 2020. Mm-hmm. And I went also and looked, and it always felt like once he left the Mets that he dominated the Mets, and he absolutely did. He hit 355 <laughs> with a 1061 OPS against the Mets in in just around 200 plate appearances. You know, he's a devout Christian. He shouldn't be so vengeful against us, but <laughs> vengeful. That's not very Christian-like, Daniel. Absolutely. So... <laughs> Yeah, I I just love Dan Murphy. I'll I'll never forgive the Mets for letting him go after that playoffs. I mean, it there was no telling that he was going to turn into this kind of player. You know, he he was always capable of hitting around 300, but yeah. you yeah. never thought he was going to do anything like that. So it's understandable yeah. for them to not bring him back, but if we had his bat in the lineup in 2016 and 2017, we would have had a much different team. So yeah, he he's. I think all Mets fans still love him. Can't really blame him for leaving because they yeah. just didn't offer him money. So you know, good good for him for going on having an even better career. And yes. even though you know his Mets career was pretty lackluster, other than the 2015 playoffs, he's he's still he's still a legend for the Mets no matter what. A legend. 100% agreed. If they still had old timers day, I'd love to see the ovation when he came back. Oh, yeah. All right, Zach, what do you got for us? All right. Standing at 5 foot 11, weighing 195 pounds, hailing from Fort Maid, Florida, playing center field. The great Andrew McFucking McCutcheon. Ooh, yeah. 13 years in the league, this guy. Nine in Pittsburgh, small market we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Career batting average of 280. OBP 373, slugging 476, OPS 849. A five-time All-Star, four-time mm. Silver Slugger, one mm. Gold Glove, the 2013 NL MVP. This wow. guy was one of the best players in baseball from at least 2011 to 2015, and he was at that time on 
you know, one of the worst teams in baseball, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mm-hmm. He got them to the playoffs three times in that span. They lost in, I think, the wild card twice and the NLDS once. <laughs> so couldn't wow. get him much further than that. But I would imagine if McCutcheon was on a big, you know, in, in a big market like New York or L.A., he would still be a bigger figure in baseball than he is right now. The guy is an absolute beast. He's got a quick bat, very difficult to strike out. He's got quick feet, gets some extra bra- extra bases, swipes bags. He's just a great all-around player. He's got he's a five-tool player. Yes, he was a five-tool player, no doubt. It's very it's very uncommon to have that defensive speedster who makes good contact with power. Yeah. He, he had a lot of home runs. He hit 25 home runs. In uh, 2014, after his MVP season, yeah, I mean, he, he batted 410, or sorry, OBP 410, led the league in 2014, 952 OPS the year after he won the MVP. I mean, he just was a great player for that five-year stretch. He hurt his, he tore his ACL in 2019. Yeah. He hasn't been quite the same since then, but this guy. Yeah. Watching him in Pittsburgh, another NL Central guy that I watched for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a great player, always fun to watch. And you know his signature helmet touch after a home run. You know it was always it was nice to see. Here's a guy. If he was allowed to do steroids, probably would have put up some really monster numbers. But uh, <laughs> I mean, just because you know since since 2018, he's batting like 250. But um, but I agree with you, Zach, regarding that five or six year span. I mean. The, the fact that Pittsburgh Pirates made the playoffs, that in itself yeah. speaks volumes for the type of player McCutcheon was in terms of really putting the team on his shoulders with those five tools that he had. For um, sure. It speaks volumes about the kind of player he was. And uh, I think that's an excellent – both both made excellent selections there on a really good team, making a really good team here. So, But, yeah, McCutcheon was, uh, was a thing of beauty out there. There's no doubt. Yeah, so welcome to the team, Daniel Murphy at second and Andrew McCutcheon in center. Yep. Let's move along, though, to testing Jack's knowledge. Oh. You ready, Jack? Hold on. Let me. I'm ready. We got something new for you this week. Let me put my drink down for this. Hold on. We got something new for you this week. Uh, All right. Andrew had a great idea. I think he saw it on Reddit. We're going to give you stats, Mm. just stats. Of someone's career from, uh, you know, baseball reference. No uh, year. There's not going to be any year next to it, but it'll say, you know, the league and whatever the stats are. You right. ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm nervous. You, you are? Pressure's on. Boom. All right. Oh, oh I got it. So we, okay. got it. we got a guy who's been in oh. the NL for his whole career. Oh, wow. You know, he's got lots of all-star appearances, MVPs, Silver Sluggers. Yep, he's quite a player. Third baseman, 468 home runs for third. Oh, that's Michael Jack Schmidt. That is incorrect. It's not Michael Jack Schmidt. I can give you years. That'll be the next step. Hold on. Hold on. That was just a bad guess. Okay. Take your time. But I am currently getting the years for you. Third baseman, 45 home run third baseman. Oh, I should know this. You should. Recent, though. Oh, how recent? Um, I would say not. I mean, it was his era was ending when me and Andrew were very young. Oh. So, oh, it's um, Edgar Martinez. No. I'm sending the years now. All right. There you go. Played from... 93 to 2012. Oh, 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 that's Chipper Jones. There you go. Atlanta gives it away, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, now that you show me the team, it's easy. Yeah, there you go. Chipper Jones, you ready for another one? Yeah, yeah, that was that was good. All right, that was here a, comes... good guesses I had, too, by the way. Oh, yeah, great guesses, man. Yeah. Great guesses, good job. So, you know, this, just so our listeners know, I'm not seeing the years or the teams, just statistics. Just statistics and the league that they played in. Yes. That is it. Here comes your next one. Are you ready? This one is right. a bit older. I'll tell you that. 
All right. Well, that's good. I'll this one's more. This one's more your 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 era. He was an MVP one year. He was. Uh, he was rookie of the year. Hmm. A many a many time All Star. Very good rookie of the year. Played in the AL a little bit at the end of his career there. Uh, boy. Finished 15th in MVP in his second to last year. That's pretty weird. The fielder. I'm looking. Okay. It was after 1962. Okay. It's obvious. You know, I know that. What was after 1960? Oh, the rookie of the year wasn't a thing until 1962? No, he played 162 games in his fifth season. So that would ah, indicate that's gotcha. post-62. He was also in the American... He was no. He was a National League, as you indicate here. He was mostly mm -hmm, a first right. baseman, outfielder. Oh man, I should get this. Come on, Jack, you're gonna be kicking yourself when you see this I name. I will. I know I will. Um, tell me if you need uh, ears. Gosh, clock's ticking. The podcast listeners are wondering if the episode had ended. Yes, I understand. What? Okay, give me his team. <laughs> okay. You on his team? Yeah. Okay. He played on the Giants and Cardinals. Was it Jack Clark? It's not Jack Clark. Giants and then the Cardinals. Started on the Giants. Huh. Went to the Cardinals, then Atlanta, then Oakland, then Boston, then the Royals. Yeah, I don't know. Orlando Cepeda? That's right. Okay. Orlando Cepeda. Yeah, all right. I should have got that. No, that's okay. Buddy. I'm sorry to all my listeners out there. Oh man, he's you're tired. It's been we we had a a week off. You haven't gone yeah, back into the I swing of things. You know, you know, this is interesting. There's a dead another interesting giveaway here too. Mm -hmm. In in uh, sixty two three four, you see AS is listed twice. Oh yeah. In sixty two three four and five. Mm -hmm. There were two All-Star games played those four seasons. Hmm. Why? Which, I don't know why they did that. It was a stupid idea. <laughs> um, you were the, he was an All-Star twice, though? Could you have been in one and not the other, I guess? In both All-Star games, yeah. That's cool. Interesting. Every yeah. time. Yeah. Good for him. Does that and count as your... Do, do you count as that many... Like, do you get, like, eight-time All-Star for being... That, yes, you do. That's four? an extra appearance. That is... That, huh. counts, that counts, yeah. Asterisks. Asterisk on that. All right. Anyway, I apologize, but that's a good quiz. I should have got that one. It's okay. I think you, you did all right. You did your best. Ah, uh, well, I suck. All right. Thanks for joining us for episode 23 of Loogie. Hope you enjoyed Jack just for not getting any of that right. That was entertaining for I me. I suck. I hope it was for you. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Loogie Podcast where you can see, you know, ugly players. We'll put up pictures maybe of ourselves from Thanksgiving. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, definitely some goofy ones of Jack sleeping on the couch during a football game. Join us next Thursday for episode 24. R.I.P. Kobe. 24. Tell a friend. Yeah. Spread the I'm, news. Not like about Kobe, thank, but Luke. I'd like, like to thank Steve Cohen for spending all that money so we could actually have a podcast next year. Otherwise, yeah. I probably wouldn't have bothered. Yeah, you were worried about the jeopardy of this podcast. Yes. And now I'm worried about it. That lockout, yeah. am I right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But good night, everybody.